0: Welcome back to the Adventure Life Science Innovation Podcast. My name is Tu, and this is my co-host, Jeffrey.
1: Hi, everyone.
0: Today, we have Ryan Saavedra with Altbionics. Altbionics is a medical device company that aims to tackle the problem of high-cost prosthesis by delivering affordable alternatives to the prosthetic market. Welcome, Ryan.
2: Thank you very much. Happy to be here.
1: I'd like you to tell us a little bit about yourself first.
2: Yeah, so my name is Ryan Savendra, and I'm the CEO and founder of Alt Bionics. Um, I'm actually also a recent graduate of University of Texas at San Antonio. I graduated in May of 2020 um, in the middle of the pandemic, and I was born and raised in San Antonio, Texas.
0: Wow, San Antonio native.
2: <laughs> yes, indeed.
0: So can you tell us more about Alt Bionics and specifically Gara? I think that's how you say it, the globally available robotic arm.
2: Yeah, so Alt Bionics is a medical device company based in San Antonio and our mission is to develop de, build and develop affordable alternatives to prosthetic devices for transradial or upper limb amputees, um, specifically transradial meaning below elbow. So we specifically develop Bionic hands. Um, Gara, which you mentioned earlier, was actually the name of our senior design project back in college. So we didn't really know what we were doing with the name. We had both a name and then like a project name, and that name was GARA, and it stood for Globally Available Robotic Arm.
0: Okay, so that wasn't the name of the product, but it's the name of your company.
2: Correct, yeah. We're actually toying around with different names for our product right now. I think we're kind of hovering around Genesis uh, being the name of our hand, since it'll be the first of its kind on the market at such an affordable price point.
0: I watched a few videos on how the prosthetic hand was able to grab on objects. Can you elaborate more on how the mechanical and the AI part work together to create this final prosthetic hand?
2: Yeah, so I guess it starts with your brain and then a process called electromyography. So we basically pick up the signals that your brain sends to your muscles whenever you want to move them. And then let's say... A transradial amputee is missing their arm about halfway down uh, below the elbow, so they have a good portion of their forearm left. They'll still be able to control a majority of the muscle groups there or in their bicep. So we have these EMG or electromyography sensors placed on those points, and then we can pick up these brain signals or rather intercept them, and then we turn that into the mechanical motion of the hand. So kind of the step between and what you were asking about in terms of AI is classifying those signals. So every time you want to move like your index finger or your middle finger, and you can go ahead and try to move those individually now to get a better understanding. Um, If you put your hand on your forearm, as you move them, you can feel individual muscle groups activating. And so the AI is basically learning which muscle groups are responsible for the, I guess, movement of your fingers. And we determine what each user is trying to do And then the AI basically says, they're trying to do this, I know, because um, we went through this training process to learn what that user is trying to do. And so based on those movements, we can then turn those signals from the EMG sensors into the mechanical motion of the hand.
1: That's very incredible. So is the training of the AI patient dependent?
2: Yes, it's unique for each patient or amputee. So we would basically have an application that would come standard with the hand once you bought it. And you would put on these EMG sensors, and then you would make a motion that it's telling you to make. So if this user is an amputee who lost their limb, and they still have another limb, we would ask them to do kind of a symmetric motion. So put both arms out and make a movement with your muscles that kind of mimicked what you would be doing if your residual limb was still there, or if you had your hand still. So we we say, make a fist. And the EMGs kind of read that fist movement in the muscles that are remaining on the residual limb. And then we say, okay, those muscles are trying to do this. And so that training platform is going to be application-based and the user will be able to train different, I guess, different grip patterns, right? So it'll say like, do a fist, do a pinch, do a thumbs up. And then the AI will learn that. And then it'll be available as a grip pattern within the application and Hand. Does that make sense? Sorry, I know it kind of goes all over the place.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it actually makes sense. How long does it take for the patient or the MBT to go into the app and train the hand?
2: Um, It shouldn't take longer than 10 to 20 minutes, is what we've gathered right now, but we're still in the, I guess, prototyping, I want to say beta stages of prototyping. So our product is not yet complete, but we've currently measured it to be about 20 minutes.
1: And this uh, arm or hand also has some kind of a uh, feedback so they know that they're gripping something.
2: Correct. Yeah. So that's kind of the cool and one of the novel things. And I'm surprised not or more hands don't have this yet. Um, but we have haptic or I guess force transducers or basically force sensors embedded inside the fingertips of the index, middle finger, as well as areas within the palm. And those force sensors are capable of gathering input Like let's say you push your hand or push your finger down on the desk, it'll be able to say, "Okay, I'm receiving this much input from the desk, and that will proportionally be relayed to the user via a vibration motor that's in the prosthetic socket or the base of the arm or the hand." So as they're pressing harder on something, this vibration motor will vibrate with the same intensity as what they're pushing down on. So this will allow them to kind of interact and feel with the feel their environment.
0: Wow, that's very interesting. Yeah. I actually have never
1: heard of anything like that. Yeah, it's a pretty in- ingenious uh, feature to add on this uh, prosthetic. Yeah,
2: it's interesting. There's definitely a couple of companies doing this at a more advanced level. Like they're trying to reroute these signals directly into the nerves. But we're going very basic because we want, you know, we're we're aiming for affordability and we don't want to be invasive to the user as well.
1: Right. So what initially sparked your interest
2: into pursuing this uh, bioentrepreneurship? Um, so I actually had no interest in owning a business ever or becoming a CEO. I was just an electrical engineer who had this idea. Um, I had it back in my sophomore year. I was looking into the different fields of robotics and I came across prosthetics and I was like, this is amazing, but it's too expensive. Let me try and make it for less. And so we did that and we got a ton of recognition for it. We made Gara for $624 as opposed to you know $150,000 alternative that we've seen. And from all that attention, we met Brian Davis, an amputee at the local VA hospital. And people before that had asked me like, hey, you should turn this into a company. This is a really cool thing. You could help a lot of people. And I said, yeah, I just have no idea. And I guess I I didn't really take it seriously until I met Brian Davis, who I mentioned. And I brought the hand over to him because I met his cousin at UTSA. And she said, could he use the hand? I said, absolutely. That's why we made it. So we took it over to him. He... All he asked me if I could program it to bring program it to give it give the middle finger. And he brought all of the (laughs) nurses in and he gave them all the middle finger with this hand. And they were just over the moon. Everyone was in laughter and happy. And um, his father actually asked me what next, you know, like, this is incredible. You've, you know, given my son something he's never had before or since he lost his arm in Iraq, He, you know. They asked me what next. And then and there, I decided, okay, I'm going to turn this into a company. I want to bring the same smile, the same happiness, and this product that can help so many people um, to people. So uh, Mm -hmm. that kind of sparked my interest. And then my friend told me about um, a couple entrepreneurship programs, and then it just snowballed from there.
0: So you actually had the prototype even before you even think about creating a company. What's the process like for commercializing a medical device or does that classified under medical device? Oh, yeah,
2: this is definitely a medical device. Um, so it's a class one medical device. So we're not class two. Uh, the electromyography sensors are class two medical devices, but uh, we only interface with them. So we're basically exempt from FDA or 510K appro- pre-market approval. Um, we're only subject to design controls. So, oh, okay. The process for getting it to market is basically making sure that you adhere to the FDA regulatory guidelines, um, and we're doing that by we're currently engaged with a contract company named Nemedio, and they're kind of helping us through this regulatory process, making sure we have these design controls, this SDK set up, this basically everything we need to go in front of the FDA and be like, here's our product, and you know, their, their end goal is to have us sit down with the FDA and get approval from them, um, or not approval since our device is exempt from it, but just be registered with them. And so there are no hiccups and there's going to be no questions that are surprising to us. So there's a lot of resources to help people um, get these devices to market, but it's not difficult, and that's only because we're a class one. Gotcha.
1: So did you know any of this regulatory
2: stuff before you diving into it? Absolutely not. Yeah, no, (laughs) I knew a lot about electrical engineering and nothing about being a CEO, nothing about regulatory, nothing about joining startup uh, accelerators or incubators. And yeah, um, definitely didn't know anything going in, but it's been a wild year and a half now.
1: Speaking of uh, accelerator, I know that your company is also in the velocity texas bio global accelerator program what is that like
2: yeah so i forget how i found out about them um but it is an accelerator that accepts five five or six startup companies each year and um, there were 140 applicants this year and altbionics was selected as one of the six and the purpose of that startup accelerator is to kind of um, they, what they like to say is accelerate the growth of the company and kind of put them in front of investors make sure they have a very strong business plan w- regardless of which round of funding you're going after they're going to help you they have tons of resources to do that um, and it's called the bio global accelerator because it's focused on life sciences and bio yeah, biomedical technologies um, so there are other companies in there working on like Um, Like there's another company working on an intubation device that is less invasive or harmful to the user. So it's just an incredible accelerator. And I would definitely recommend it to anyone who wanted to look look into startup accelerators.
0: How involved do you have to be uh, being part of this accelerator?
2: Um, It's a 16-week cohort, um, eight of which are virtual and eight of which are um, in person at the Velocity Texas Innovation Center downtown in San Antonio. And currently, we meet Monday, Wednesday, Friday, nine to eleven, and then we have varying tasks that we do. Um, I mean, they're they're obviously optional, but they're they're all based around growth, so we're gonna do them. But it, it's pretty involved. I mean, it's it's supposed to accelerate your company's growth, and only you can do that as you know the founding team, um, and that's based on your participation in the cohort.
0: I see. So, did you have your team before, or um, are they form- helping you find or and select people that would be the best fit for your um, company?
2: Yeah. So, a strange story, I suppose. So, I petitioned to be in senior design, the capstone project, where we made Gara um, early, about six months early. So, all of my teammates, Rory, Evan, and Max, uh, graduated the semester we presented Gara. And I came back to them after I met Ryan and I said, hey, I want to turn this into a company deal. I want to join. But it's six months and they're new graduates. They need jobs. They had prospects lined up. And so they all said, "Uh, no, we can't, but good luck. And so I had to rebuild the team from scratch after I graduated six months after they graduated. Um, And it took about three to four months to find new engineers to bring on the team, and then about five months to find a uh, chief financial officer to bring on. But now we have a full founding team, and yeah, they they, they can probably help you find, uh, the, the accelerator can probably help you find new team members, but normally they have they, they accept companies who are more, I guess, established in that sense that actually have teams. So yeah. Yeah
0: how do you seek financial support? Do the, the accelerator have a uh, pitch day at the end for you to talk to investors?
2: Yes. So there is a pitch day towards the end of the accelerator. Um, but prior to that, we were about a month after starting the company. And this was another story for another time, but we joined an accelerator or an incubator rather, not an accelerator out of Virginia. And that was all virtual. And they put us in front of investors and, um, Incubators are basically miniature versions of accelerators. But through the Virginia Incubator, we were put in front of investors, and we started our first round of financing in March of this year. And that's kind of snowballed, and we're actually already fully funded, um, as well as oversubscribed for this first round. So oh, wow. we're we're trying to figure out how we're going to approach that pitch day because we're not ready for our Series A, but we're closing our seed round. So it's an interesting... Um, kind of predicament we're in with that but yes the accelerator does have a pitch day at the end and they also have relationships with alamo angels which is the angel investment group here in san antonio and so those Mm -hmm. they put us in front of them actually a little earlier um and those were one of our investors actually
1: that's cool, um we also saw that you had a goFundMe page is that still active?
2: I think I have left it up just in case people do want to donate because non dilutive funding is obviously the best kind of funding in the industry or <laughs> in the game the startup game um, but yeah, that was basically how I got by my first like I don't know nine months I had to stretch that three thousand three hundred out nine months and it was a <laughs> it was a trial but yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely still up for people who just want to donate to what we're doing.
0: That's a very creative way to find funding because if people find values in what you're doing, of course they're going to be willing to donate.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> GoFundMe actually, the company themselves actually donated to us, so that was kind of interesting um, from GoFundMe. But yeah, it was definitely a an odd everything about this this whole journey of AltBionics has been kind of. Abnormal, but it's turned out to be the most incredible thing, and the support we've received from all fronts has been amazing. Mm
0: -hmm. And also, considering the fact that I guess you didn't have a patent before you went and talked to other people about the product.
2: Yes, but the good thing about that, because that is a sticky subject, um, especially, I mean, normally you don't file a patent or even a provisional patent if you've already disclosed your technologies, but what we presented with Gara was more of an open source version of things. So what we did there, anyone could do if they just talked to us about it and we can kind of share it all. But what we're doing with our Genesis hand off by Onyx, is something entirely new. So we're taking what we learned from Gara and reformatting it and reconfiguring it into something a little more industry grade, right? We don't want it to be the senior design project. We want it to be this product that can help millions of people.
0: And are you planning on doing other parts of the body?
2: Yes, so currently we're, starting with transradial bionic hands, um, or sorry, bionic hands for transradial amputees. But we do have plans to go further upper limbs, such as above elbow and shoulder disarticulation. Um, and then once we're stable in the upper limb area, we do want to move into lower limb areas. Um, we know we can reduce the cost of those, but they are more justified in their costs. If you look at lower limb devices, they have you know several AI machine learning technologies within them, like 62 computers inside them, making predictions for what people are doing, what environment they're going over. But you know, our mission will always be to try and make these devices more affordable for the people who, you know, can't financially sacrifice or yeah, you know, can't make a financial sacrifice to purchase them.
1: Speaking of which, is this going to be sold directly to amputees, or is this going through um, like a insurance reimbursement?
2: Yeah. So our, I guess, primary sales channel will be through prosthetic and orthotic clinics. Um, We build hands, so we don't build the socket section. So that is more of their primary care uh, prosthetist who handles all of that, making sure it fits right, making sure this is not damaging their residual limb at all, the skin remaining on their arm. Um, So we sell to them and then they file uh reimbursements through l codes which are basically a medical device code for upper limb um bionic hands such as ours and so yeah it it is insurance and it is reimbursed uh but that's through the prosthetist we will eventually sell direct to um consumer or amputees but that's kind of much later in the game and once we get um more even even more affordable price points out
0: how did you do that how did you keep the cost out
2: Yeah. So a few ways Um, we're making our device through 3d printing methods called multi-jet fusion. Um, I I couldn't explain it well. I've looked in the videos and even as an engineer, I'm still kind of struggling to understand how they're doing this, but it's, it's an incredible new method of 3d printing. Um, It produces robust materials that are very close to carbon fiber. Um, I mean, not, not extremely close, but they're, They are very high quality materials. And so we're using MJF printing, which reduced the manufacturing cost by a lot, because if you want to set up tooling for injection molded parts, it's a lot of money initially. So that's one way. Another way is we are making our devices modular. So after interviews with a lot of amputees, they said like, yeah, my device ended up breaking on me. I had to go without the device for like one to three months, or, you know, I had to get a replacement device and it was just this whole snafu. And so we thought, okay, how can we make that an easier problem to solve? And we decided we wanted to make our devices modular, meaning that if you ever broke a finger, you'd be able to replace it very easily. So currently it takes about 10 to ten to 15 minutes to replace it with one hand. So we were making repairs on our own with one hand and we can disassemble our palm into two halves, and then remove the finger units, and then place them back in. And they're basically good to go at that point. So these, these amputees and these prosthetists will have a much easier time replacing these units, and they won't have to go one to three months without these devices. Because if you're paying, you know, $150,000 for something, you know, it's, it's, I always equate it to buying a house and having to be kicked out for one to three months. It's like, it's not what you do. It's not what you want when you buy a house. You have it because it's this, this, this shelter. So but yeah, so those are two primary ways we're keeping costs down. Um, and also overhead. The, that's probably the biggest thing is that we're a very small and nimble company. So we've talked to executives from larger companies and they basically said, yeah, because of overhead, we can't reduce our prices below $10,000. So it's kind of, a, I guess, a, a blessing and a curse for our company because they're kind of stuck in there while we're not. But They do have devices on the market that can't be reduced, which means people are going to be forced to buy those. So um, a bunch of different ways how we're reducing the costs.
0: So for the parts, are you guys doing the 3D printing part yourself or are you um, hiring a a manufacturer to do that?
2: Yeah. So we're currently working with Additive America. They're kind of MJF um, printers or a printing company, but uh, this large clinic named hangar clinic is actually working with us and they've offered us um, the same printing process or same printing method uh, or manufacturing method uh, from them so we will be outsourcing it we don't have an mjf printer and i think they're close to like a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand to get one but um, eventually we will be manufacturing these either through mjf of our own or tooling methods such as injection molding once we start producing in quantities um, greater than you know hundreds
1: how quickly can you produce the parts for like one uh, prosthetic?
2: Um, so the motors are kind of, or the motors are off the shelf. The wrist units are off the shelf. Um, basically the majority of everything that's not 3D printed is off the shelf. I mean, obviously the hardware is too, like screws and standoffs and springs, but the printing process only takes a couple of days. So, and we can print in large quantities. So we could probably print like 20 hands in a couple of days and assembly would take, I don't know, probably just as long, a couple of days. So in like a week's time, I would say we could probably get 20 hands out. So it's pretty quick.
0: Products that are circulating in the markets, do they have the quick time of production like yours?
2: Um, I'm unsure. Yeah. I couldn't answer that probably accurately, but I know a lot of them do have inject, like the larger companies that we spoke to, they definitely have, um, these high end processes set up and we've seen their hands up close and yeah, they, they definitely have this tooling already happening and are already set up and, but yeah, couldn't, couldn't answer that. Sorry.
1: Yeah. I was just wondering, like if you're scaling up on the production, would it just be buying more 3d printers and just printing it off like that?
2: Um yeah i mean the the outsource isn't terribly expensive, and you know what is it, economies of scale, everything gets cheaper the more you buy so once we hit you know hundreds or thousands of these things, the costs exponentially decrease to us, um which is, can be reflected in like either increased profit margins or and decreased product prices. but we'll probably keep outsourcing until it's no longer beneficial for us to do that, and if we see it being more beneficial to have our own three d printer to do it or like I mentioned earlier, if we see injection molding as a more viable route moving forward with um, better designs as we improve them.
1: Would there be inconsistencies if you're, if you're outsourcing to multiple manufacturers?
2: Uh, multiple, I'm, I would imagine. So yeah, we've already seen a couple inconsistencies with uh, the single manufacturer on component specs, such as uh, like whole diameters being a little off. But yeah, no, we're definitely only going to stick with one. So I I just mentioned the two that we're considering right now. We use Additive America currently for our prototypes. And then once we move into stable production, we're not sure what will happen. If we're happy with Additive, we'll stay with them. Um, If Hanger Clinic offers like a discount, we may move over to them. But yeah, we'll definitely only stick with one manufacturer initially and then um, see where the future goes.
0: This is not just available for adults, right?
2: Yeah, so we currently have um, or we're going to offer small, medium, and large sizes. And then the secondary option, which will incur a, like, a, a, a larger price tag. Or, yeah, we'll, it will have a larger price tag, but you'll be able to customize these things for um, any size you want. So if you're not okay with small, medium, or large, then we'll custom design you a hand with all the specs you want. Basically an a la carte hand, an a la carte bionic hand for whatever you need. Um, so it can accommodate one motor, two motors, Um, any type of wrist unit.
0: Is there an extra fee for that if they want to customize it?
2: Yeah, so that will probably be about double what we're trying to offer our flagship product for, just because we spoke about it. We spoke to our engineers about it and they said, yeah, it would be a lot of work to kind of redesign the hand parametrically um, to fit these individual users. So it would probably be around 7,000 to 8,000 to do that. And and the product, right now it's going for how much again? So we're trying to bring it to market for 3,500, but we are guaranteeing that it will not go above 5,000. So at that 3,500 price point, we are 65% more affordable than the least expensive alternative currently on the market that is covered by insurance. And at that price, basically insurance, based on the L codes that I mentioned earlier, the reimbursements will completely cover it. So our devices have, to have a zero cost to amputees. That's awesome.
0: Are you planning to keep running this company or what's your exit strategy look like?
2: So we're looking at a couple options. Um, our, our CFO is very bullish on an IPO. Um, obviously that is the best, the best outcome in terms of an exit strategy. We get to maintain uh, full control of our company while you know, using this new influx of cash to continue development towards the path that we see fit. Uh, we're also looking into potential buyouts um, we had one group approach us earlier in the company's life and they basically said like once you have a product come back to me we're very interested um, so there are a few options in terms of exit strategies but i think for now we're just going to focus on making sure that we produce the best product possible out of you know the prototyping that we're doing and make sure our mission is uh, tried and true before we exit
0: yeah, it's, I forgot to ask this earlier. Is this your device or does, does this have any um, affiliation with UTSA?
2: Yeah, so this was a senior design project. But basically, UTSA has no right to the product um, because it was for a class. And because we did not work for UTSA at the time of researching this, um, they basically release all um, project projects intellectual property to the students if you wanted to pursue something different. And that was it was kind of funny because when I proposed the project to my group and after they kind of accepted it I asked my professor because I was very bullish on this. I was super excited to do this project and I was like I want to take this further someday. Um completely lying to myself, but I just wanted to make sure that if I did um that it would be protected and I and I asked them, you know, does the university have any rights to this? yeah so i don't know why but i guess i my my business acumen kind of took over and wanted to know and they said no um this is going to be yours that's nice yeah that's like a really good outcome from that yeah we were i know the people kept asking i was like oh god like maybe maybe they do like i had to go back and triple check and talk to the technology transfer office and-
1: yeah for us it's like if we come up with something then yeah <laughs> yeah it's kind of i know all
2: there's a story about um the UT Health Science Center developing IUDs because the first IUDs came out of UT Health, and um, the students kind of took it and ran with it. And the university was like, "Well, you just made billions! Like that was ours. You did that under our research." And so there was a lot of um, legal re- regarding that.
0: Yeah, it's nice since it was a class. So, are there a lot of products that actually came out from these class, or you know, they just stayed as a project for a class?
2: Um, I know with biomedical engineering, they're kind of like, I don't know how to say it. I don't like the word grooming, but they're basically helping these students kind of understand the business side of biomedical engineering and bringing technologies to market. So there's more of a focus on entrepreneurship in the biomedical engineering program and not so much in the mechanical, um, electrical, civil areas of engineering. So from what I know, my project was the only one out of the 69 participating teams for senior design two to kind of turn into something else. Um I have heard of projects or companies being built out of the biomedical engineering side of things. Uh but I wasn't mm-hmm. really involved in it. I just know that's happened.
0: Yeah, and you also competed in the University of Texas Technology Competition, right?
2: Is that the same thing? Yeah, so that's actually the same thing. I know it's hard to explain. Oh, okay. They call it the same thing. It's um it's the Senior Design Technology Symposium or the UTSA Technology Symposium and where oh, senior design students present and kind of compete with one another to you know develop this best product. That's cool. I, I do love it. Um, I'm already, you know, have plans to give back and try to boost the award amount because at sec we got second place um, mm-hmm. and we were awarded three thousand dollars. And you know, that that whole thing of having this technology symposium where you can see what students are building, not just students, but what these these professors have helped students build. And it's just incredible. It always sparked my interest. I wanted to be an engineer even more once, you know, my freshman year, I found out about this and saw these presenters. And I got big, what's that um, Disney movie, Big Hero 6 vibes from it. And I was just (laughs) super enamored. And so I, I can't say enough good things about it and how much I love senior design and what it did for me
1: do you have any plans like after AltBionics,
2: uh, another company or something? Um, I am an avid rock climber and rock climbing was actually just introduced to the Olympics. And I've always wanted to open up a rock climbing gym. Um, so (laughs) that is my next ambition. Um, once this one ends and, um, yeah, so I I would love for that to happen. I know there's a bunch of plans in San Antonio already to have new rock climbing gyms. So.
0: That's um, cool. Maybe you can even develop another product where um, instead of just normal everyday function, the prosthetics, you can actually do more activities with it.
2: Yeah, it's well, so this may not be what you're talking about, but we actually have a third kind of revenue stream or product, and it's a hobbyist mm-hmm. hand. So I'm all for um, promoting STEAM education, so science, technology, engineering, art, and mathematics to the younger generations. And so this hobbyist hand will allow people to kind of experiment with the field of bionics and understand it more because it is an emerging field. I call it bionics engineering, but I don't know if there's an actual name for it um, because it kind of merges biomedical and electrical engineering into one and mechanical Mm -hmm. engineering as well. Uh, So, yeah, we're exploring different things such as hobbyist hands where people can learn more about them and um, as well as exoskeletal kind of additions that can help. Um, you know, soldiers or just people with daily tasks to kind of help out in the orthotic field of things.
0: That sounds exciting.
2: It's interesting. Yeah, there's a, there's there's so much that goes into it. And it's just every day is like an adventure when, when we're talking with our engineering team and they're just like, we could do this. And we're just like, or half the team's like focus <laughs> and half the team's like invent. And then, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's fun. It's very exciting.
0: Sounds like you have a fun team and a very balanced team too. <laughs>
2: Yes, we have a, yeah, our, our CFO keeps us in check, but um, our, our engineers are also, they're, they're just great. Um, they're just diamonds in the rough and I couldn't be happier with the team we have now. So
1: do you have any um, advice for these uh, upcoming students that are breaking into this, uh, I guess, engineering or biomedical engineering field?
2: Um, I guess my go to advice would always be to ask questions. I was always super nervous in college. And that's kind of been a challenge for me going into entrepreneurship, because you have to present in front of these people who are, um, you know, going to be investing in your company. So Mm -hmm. I would always say just kind of put yourself out there. Don't be afraid to ask questions to your professors, to your friends, to um, other entrepreneurs, like reach out. Like I've had students as young as like, 13 and 14 reach out to me via email. And they're just like, Hey, I want to learn more about, you know, what you do in bionics engineering. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, this is incredible. Like, you're <laughs> going to be a great student and a great entrepreneur someday. But yeah, just don't be afraid to ask questions as easy as that is to say, just do your best.
0: But I think just by having that mentality of trying to, to step out of your comfort zone actually would actually help. I, I'm a very shy person myself. And, this is why I'm doing this. Um, I'm interested in science communication, but I, ha- I can't communicate science if I'm, I can't speak in front of people.
2: Yeah, no, I understand completely. And that that's another thing. Like, that's another big thing that I like to tell people. Like, don't be afraid to fail. Um, that's, that's, I've always enjoyed failing to an extent because I get to learn from my mistakes. And I get to, as an engineer especially, it's like, okay, that didn't work. Um, let me try to turn on the LED this way. And then you learn the right way to do it. And the feeling of succeeding after so many attempts of failure is just indescribable. It is wonderful. And that's why I love senior design so much, because we failed for a year. And even the day of the tech symposium, we had someone before it started, grip the hand and break it. So I had to repair it within like one hour. And I was able to, but it was just like, it was funny and stressful and just a great time all around. But... Yeah, through, through failure comes uh, success for sure.
0: Now you know how to fix it within an hour. Exactly. When a client comes
2: in. Yeah.
0: <laughs> all right. Um, we took enough of your time. It was very nice talking to you today.
2: You all as well. Thank you so much. And let me know if I can ever help in the future with any types of talks or supportive material. I'd be happy to help. Right. Awesome.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks. Yep. By the time this episode is published, Alt Bionics had closed their seed round of funding with $283,000. They also completed Velocity Texas Bio Global Accelerator Program and won second place in TechBlock's Tech Fuel Pitch Competition and was awarded $20,000. Congratulations Ryan and the team at Alt Bionics.